From creation to the flood to the patriarchs to Egypt, join me, Pastor Hook, as we go through Genesis, the backstory to the beginning. Uh, let's see. So yeah, we're in Genesis 47, and Jacob is now uh, living in Egypt uh, for 17 years. And uh, he found out his son Joseph was still alive and was the prime minister of Egypt. So he moved to Egypt, lived in the land of Goshen. They're becoming shepherders, uh, sheep herders, shepherds. Uh, and now we're going to pick up the end of the story of, of, uh, of Jacob. So the story of Joseph, which is one of my favorite stories, is tucked into the larger narrative, which is the story of Jacob. And Jacob becomes Israel. And Israel is the one that occupies the promised land. The 12 tribes of Egypt um, becomes the 13 tribes of Egypt. We'll find out about that. And they, um, they are going to occupy Israel. They're going to occupy the promised land, the land of Canaan. But before they get there, they have to live in Egypt for a very long time. They have to be rescued by God. And really the story of, of, of Genesis... While Joseph is a great story, it's really about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob is the one with the 12 sons. And Jacob is the one who becomes Israel. And I guess if you wanted to say, is there a story that's central? Is there a character that's central? Well, there are a whole bunch of central characters. But Jacob is a big one. And, uh, and so when we get to the death of Jacob, it's a, it's a big deal. And we will get to that. That is kind of the end of the end of Genesis is really the, the end of Jacob. Uh, if, you look at, uh, if you look at the Baroque period uh, of history, what is that, 1600 to 1750 or something like that, it ends with the death of Bach. And so the Genesis ends with the death of Jacob. I may have that completely wrong. Yeah, anyway, I... I should look that up before I just spout out stuff like that, but I'm pretty sure that the Baroque period ends with the death of Bach. <laughs> How's that? <laughs> I'm not sure of the dates. All right, so um, we are going to, uh, we're just going to pick up at the end of chapter 47, and then we'll get into chapter 48. So let's just take a look at that this morning. Uh, Jake, uh, Genesis chapter 47, beginning of verse 28. Jacob lived in Egypt 17 years. And the years of his life were 147. When the time drew near for Israel to die, that's Jacob, he called for his son Joseph and said to him, If I have found favor in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh and promise that you will show me kindness and faithfulness. Do not bury me in Egypt, but when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried." I will do as you say, he said. Swear to me, he said. Then Joseph swore to him, and Israel worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. So we've seen this before. Um, this is how they did oaths in the Old Testament. Uh, not exactly sure why. It says, um, if I found your favorite, put your hand under my thigh. Well, it's not really under a thigh. It's, it's closer to the reproductive organs. It is, it is the reproductive organs. Um, this is where we get the, where we get the word testify, right? Because it's a testimony, which is near your testes. Uh, and so this is, um, basically hold on to my bits here and we're going to swear an oath together. And nobody is exactly sure why that is. It's a very sensitive, tender part. You don't get there unless you get permission. Uh, also, um, 
some have said that it is it is the source of um, it is the source of reproduction. It's the source of the generations to come after you swearing to the generations that come after. I don't know, but um, this is this is something we don't do in our culture. Very, you know, we would be slapped. We would be thrown into jail if we didn't under our culture. But this is very common way to to swear, to testify, to have an oath. Uh, and so he says, what is this oath? And basically what Jacob says is, listen, I really, really appreciate that you brought me here to Egypt. We're living in the land of Goshen. My sons are shepherds. They've, they're well taken care of. Everybody's well taken care of. I can live a happy life, but I cannot be buried in Egypt. I must be buried in the land of my ancestors. So when it comes time for me to die, I need you to promise me that you'll bury me with my ancestors. And Joseph does. And he has no problem doing that because he has uh, wealth. He can certainly you know, take off time to go bury Jacob with his ancestors. Uh, and we, we, where people are buried today is um, it's changing. It used to be a hundred years ago, everybody was buried in the churchyard. I mean, churches don't even have cemeteries anymore, uh, which is interesting because we have enough land that we could actually build a cemetery. Um, I don't know if it would be used, and I don't know what the the legalities of having a cemetery are. My guess is is that it has to be uh, perpetually deeded to something so that it remains a cemetery in, in perpetuity. Uh, if you buy a plot at a cemetery today, um, it's pretty expensive. But when you think about it, it's going to pay for not only the plot of land, but it's going to pay for the organization to go in perpetuity to be able to take care of that plot of land with grass, you know, uh, uh, trimming the grass, cutting the grass, water, all that has to be paid for out of the cost of the land. And that's probably why these cemeteries are so expensive. Um, but a church can, you know, a church is going to live in perpetuity anyway. So having a plot of land in a church makes a lot of sense. And many churches go this direction with columbariums and mausoleums. Some of them have cemeteries, but it's very rare. Um, but it could be done. Could be done. I don't know if there's a desire for that or not. Um, most of the, I would say about 85% of the funerals that I do Memorial services I do, or the funerals I do, are cremations. And then uh, we do have interments where you put the cremains in, a, in the place where you're going to put them, the mausoleum or whatever. Um, but uh, I have done, I've done a couple, maybe 15%, have actually been at the graveyard. So we do the interment at the gra graveyard. Actually did a, uh, recently did a, a burial, an interment. It was kind of a strange deal. They lived in California, but they came here to do the interment. Um, and they actually had a mausoleum. And the mausoleum is where you have the full body is in a crypt. Uh, and so um, that's a great way to, you know, to have large numbers of people in a small, short space. A short space. And I think you can actually... Um, over time, uh, I think that that can decay and you can actually put more than one coffin in a crypt because I think it kind of, the heat will get rid of the body. This is what happens. You have a family crypt in New Orleans. I've seen that happen a, a lot of times where they wouldn't bury them underground because, um, 
because the buoyancy of the water, the, the caskets would just eventually over, over a number of years, the caskets would float up to the surface. And so they would create these crypts, which are heavy, heavy <clears throat> concrete structures that would uh, force the casket to stay in the ground. Uh, but they realized over time that uh, when they opened these up, that the, ca the caskets had completely decayed and so you could reuse them. So a lot of interesting stuff, a lot of legalities. At some point, I would love to investigate that and figure out what the what the what we should do because we do have opportunities for also we could do mausoleums, we could do um, we can do uh, places for cremains, all, all these we could do cemetery. Um, just a matter of uh, what people are doing today. Uh, the reason why they buried people whole was that on the last day um, that you know the bones would come together in the flesh and all that, but. But most people today, uh, it's just a lot easier um, to do cremation. And the other thing I've found out, which is interesting, is that there's not very many crematoriums. I think there's one or two in Southern Arizona, uh, and they all kind of share, all the, all the um, funeral homes share the same crematorium, um, and they can get backlogged. So if on a pandemic like this, there might be a backlog of crematoriums. I don't know. All right. So, um, but they're not going to take the cremains. They're not going to take, it's not the bones. Uh, that would happen also. They would take the bones. Uh, they put them in a crypt, the body in a crypt, the body would decay and all that would be left would be the bones. And you take the bones out and you put the bones in another large box with this they called an ossuary. Uh, and then they would decorate the ossuary. They would say who's buried in that ossuary. Uh, and then that was another way to confine the space for the burial. But this isn't an ossuary. It's not a, it's, it's the full body. He wants to go back and be buried in Egypt. And so Joseph swears. Uh, and then Israel worshiped and he leans on top of his staff. So he's obviously older. He's having a hard time getting around. So he has to use his staff uh, to get around. And uh, so that's what he's doing. But he's still worshiping because Jacob worships God. Jacob is connected with God in a very special way. Um, probably more so than Joseph. Uh, Joseph is connected also. Joseph has integrity and character, but really is Jacob who learned from his grandfather and his father to be connected with God. And then Jacob was extremely connected with God, wrestled with God in the wilderness. All right, um, so we will, let's see if we can continue on here and actually go into chapter 48. So here we go. Chapter 48, sometime later, Joseph was told your father is ill. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with him. When Jacob was told your son Joseph has come to you, Israel rallied his strength and sat up on his bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan. And there he blessed me and he said to me, I'm going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples and I will give his land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. Uh, and so Jacob is old, very, very ill. He's in bed at this point. He's not walking around with his staff. And so word gets to Joseph. So Joseph brings his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. These were two sons bought or brought to him, birthed to him by his wife. Uh, she's Egyptian. She's the daughter of an Egyptian you know, priest. Uh, so J Jacob, uh, Joseph is one of these characters that 
that brings about uh, you know the peace between two cultures you've got the Israel culture and you've got the Egyptian culture and Jacob uh, Joseph is able to span both cultures because his wife is an Egyptian priestess daughter daughter to Egyptian priestess and so the two sons Manasseh and Ephraim have grown up in Egypt they're fully Egyptian but they're also somewhat uh, because their father, they also have Israeli blood, but they know nothing really uh, except for their uncles in the tribe that came into the land of Goshen. They, these boys probably are uh, quintessential Egyptian royalty uh, walking around Egypt uh, as if they own the place, uh, Manasseh and Ephraim. Uh, and they have servants and people bow down because their father is, is Joseph. We don't know much about Manasseh and Ephraim, but uh, I picture them, probably, probably unfairly, but I picture them uh, just as, um, as, as the daughters, or I picture them as the sons of famous movie stars in, in Hollywood that never had to work a day in their life and yet they get all this fame and glory because they because of who they are who their father is and they themselves just reap the benefit of that um, not a whole lot is said about manasseh and ephraim but i i don't think that there's uh they don't they don't their hands are not hard from working the soil uh, their bodies are probably very pure and clean and not unsunburned because they probably don't spend a whole lot of time out in the sun um, these are, these are, I don't know if I would call them wussy boys, but, <laughs> but they've probably never seen a day of hard work in their life. Um, they are, they are living off their father's name. Anyway, that's how I view them. Who knows? Maybe they were hardworking boys that went out and worked and worked the soil. If you want to believe that you're welcome to do that. All right. So, uh, yeah, so I need to start reading again because I forgot where I left off. Verse 3, um, Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and there he blessed me, and he said to me, I'm going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples, and I will give you this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. Okay, we read that. All right, we're going we're gonna to read the next one, which is verse 5. Now then, your two sons born to you in Egypt before I came to you here will be reckoned as mine. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine, just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. Any children born to you after them will be yours in the territory they inherit. They will be reckoned under the names of their brothers. As I was returning from Paddan to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan while we were still on the way a little distance from Ephrath. So I buried her there beside the road to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. So that's interesting. So couple things here. First of all, uh, Manasseh and Ephraim are going to be treated as the sons of Jacob. So instead of getting one-twelfth of a portion of Jacob's estate, they're going to actually get two-twelfths of the portion of Jacob's estate. Each one of them, Ephraim and Manasseh, will get a portion, and, uh, which, is, which is fascinating. Um, so he's, they're going to be treated as, as Reuben and Simeon. They're going to be they're going to be treated as equals to the sons of, of Jacob. Uh, they're going to be treated as equals to Joseph, uh, which is interesting. Um, 
And then uh, Rachel died in the land of Canaan, so he was buried there beside the road to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. So, um, so Rachel, when she was died, was buried in Bethlehem. That's interesting. Um, so Bethlehem was uh, called back then Ephrath, but now it is known as Bethlehem. And we'll continue reading. When Israel saw the sons of Joseph, he said, well, who are these? Yep, because they didn't look like his other sons because they were white and pasty and well-fed or whatever. Um, they are the sons God has given me, Joseph said to his father. Then Israel said, bring them to me so I may bless them. Now Israel's eyes were failing because of his old age, and he could hardly see. So Joseph brought his sons close to him, and his father kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again, and now God has allowed me to see your children too. Uh, just absolutely a huge blessing here that God has allowed Jacob to see his son Joseph and, and his kids. Um, when you think about it, if he lives to, what, 140-something years, he was only without Joseph for maybe 20 of those years. But um, he was still able to, to see him and spend, you know, know that his son was alive for, except for the 20 years, uh, you know, for, for a very good long time. And Jacob is living in the land of Goshen with his other sons. Uh, Joseph is a prime minister. He probably has duties in the palace of Pharaoh. It's off, it's, I wonder how often they see each other because they really do have two totally different cultures. Jacob has become completely uh, Egyptianized and Jacob, uh, Joseph is Egyptianized. Jacob stays in the land of Goshen as, sheep, as a shepherd. Um, they probably see each other quite frequently, but obviously Jacob, when, when we find out that Jacob is dying, Joseph has to travel and bring his sons to see him. So it's, I'd be curious to know how often the sons even wanted to see their grandfather that was living out in the land of Goshen. You know how that goes. Um, but he does bring his two sons to see his father one more time. Then Joseph removed them from Israel's knees and bowed down with his face to the ground. And Joseph took both of them, Ephraim on his right, towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh on his left, towards Israel's right hand, and brought them close to him. But Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head. Though he was the younger, and crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, Manasseh's head even though Manasseh was the firstborn. So you can see what uh, Joseph is doing here. Uh, he brings the two boys forward and he puts the older son on the right hand and the younger son on the left hand. But when it comes time to do the blessing, Jacob does one of these numbers and crosses his hands and put his hands on the wrong children, to which Jake, uh, Joseph is not going to be happy about this. Um, and then he blessed Joseph and he said, uh, May the God, here's, yeah, so this, remember these blessings that we get are pretty impressive. So let's just take a look at this blessing. Verse, verse 15, then he blessed Joseph and he said, may the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, 
and may they increase greatly on the earth. So he blesses Joseph by blessing his children. And it's a great blessing. May the God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked faithfully, the God, the God who has been my shepherd all the days of my life. So may God bless you. God has blessed me all the days of my life. The angel delivered me from all harm. And he, may he bless these boys. May they be called the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. And may they increase greatly on the earth. This is a great blessing. And you remember, Jacob got a great blessing from his father, Isaac. Jacob's brother's twin brother, Esau, got a horrible blessing uh, from his father. So Jacob knows about blessings. And he puts his hands on the two sons uh, like this. And then he blesses uh, with this incredibly wonderful blessing. God has blessed me. May he bless you. May you increase greatly on the earth. Um, but there's a problem here because the hands are on the wrong people. So what happens? When Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, he was displeased. So he took hold of his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. But Joseph said to him, No, my father, this is one no, my father, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his hand, on his head. But his father refused, and he said, I know, my son, I know. He too will become a people, and he too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he, and his descendants will become a group of nations. And he blessed them that day, and he said, In your name will Israel pronounce this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. So he put Ephraim's ahead of Manasseh. So this is a common theme that we see throughout the whole entire Old Testament, particularly with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Manasseh, Ephraim. It seems like the way that God does these things is that he blesses the younger over the older. And you say to yourself, why would God do this? Why would, why would this happen um, every time? And I think it's a foretaste of Jesus because when Jesus comes, the ultimate firstborn, he brings the blessing and gives it to all of us as the secondborn. Uh, I mean, that is basically how it works, that we are into the kingdom. Even though we're not the firstborn, we get the blessings of the firstborn because of the firstborn. Um, and it seems like God, the way what they call God's economy, the way that God does things. He blesses the secondborn more than the firstborn. He uh, changes up things. He orders things around. In the world around us, it's always the firstborn that gets the blessing, right? It's always the oldest. It's always the, uh, it's always the strongest. It's always the, the one that everybody expects to be in charge is the one who's in charge. Uh, is the one who gets the blessing, is the one who's designated as the leader. Um, but we see in Scripture time after time after time again that oftentimes God changes that around and, and does something totally different that the world wouldn't expect, and, and that is to give the blessing to the younger child, uh, give the blessing to the weaker child, give the blessing to the injured child, um, and we even see this in, uh, in the Beatitudes in Jesus, Matthew 6, where Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So uh, G Jesus always gives God, for some reason, not sure why, 
um, says it's okay not to be the firstborn. Uh, the blessing will go to the secondborn, or the blessing goes to the poor in spirit, or it goes to the weaker one, or whatever. And I believe all of that is because all of us at some point in our life are the secondborn. We're the weaker, uh, we're the poor in spirit, we're, the, we're not the firstborn. We don't deserve any of the rights and blessings that we do get. And yet, because God loves us and he brings us into the kingdom, he gives us all rights and privileges of the firstborn. Uh, we get the inheritance, we get the rights, we get the love, we get the joy, we get everything to us, uh, even though we are not deserving of it, because that's what God does. God always gives the blessings to, to who he wants to give, which is to us, which is really kind of a great thing. Um, and let's see. Yeah, might as well finish off this chapter. So verse 21, then Israel said to Joseph, I'm about to die but God be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers. And to you, I will give one more ridge of land than to your brothers, the ridge I took from the Amorites with my sword and my bow. So Jacob or Joseph says, uh, says to Joseph, I'm about to die, but God be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers. And to you, I will give one more ridge of land and then to your brothers, the ridge I took from the Amorites with my sword. So I don't know if Jake, if Joseph ever made it back to the land. Um, the, the Israelites stay here for a very long time through many more pharaohs who do not remember Joseph and all the great things he did for Egypt because that is the corruption of power. Um, and so God has to rescue them. Uh, I, I am curious to know. I could do some research to find out if Joseph ever ended up like did Manasseh and Ephraim, did their families take jo Jacob, Joseph back or not? Uh, I have to find out. That would be an interesting, uh, I don't even know if the, I just don't know. I'll have to do some interesting looking on that. Anyway, so I think we'll leave it there. That is the end of uh, chapter 48. So we only have two more chapters left, uh, 49 and 50. Uh, and then we get to the end of, of Jacob, the death of Jacob, uh, and then we're done with Genesis. Um, but I would like to just take this opportunity to thank you so much for joining me. Uh, I pray that this Bible study is a blessing to you. Um, it certainly is to me. I've enjoyed it, kind of just reflecting on these chapters. Um, you're probably wondering what we're going to do after we get through the book of Genesis. And I have been thinking about that quite a bit. Uh, and so I will announce that at some point, probably not this week, probably next week. Uh, I think we're probably going to go well into next week to finish this story. Uh, we have two chapters, probably take about three days, and then I want to reflect a little bit. Uh, and then there's a couple other things I want to do, and then we'll figure out what the next thing is. So um, why don't we just really quickly close in prayer. Uh, dear God, thank you for the blessings of this day. Uh, thank you for the joy um, that you bring to us and, and that you call us to be your beloved children, even though we don't deserve it. Uh, through your son, Jesus, in his name we pray.